wanted to take a second before we get into this message, this week's message about under authority, I wanted to talk a little bit about something that we did this past week, and I have to kind of give some context. So last year, like in November or October, um, we, uh, I, I was praying, and I really felt like the Lord wanted us to talk, when, whenever we got into 2020, the Lord wanted us to talk about giving and marriages. And so before this whole uh, pandemic really started, we were in the middle of a series called The Blessed Life. And let me just say, you guys are phenomenal givers. Seriously, God has really um, blessed Kingdom Church, which is your, your part of this. This is your church. Uh, giving has been just tremendous, and, there, and it's, it's really been awesome. Some of y'all have even been extravagant givers, giving above your tithes and giving large offerings. And um, God has been able to provide for a lot of the needs that we have. We've, we've purchased a bunch of cameras purchase a lot of um, different systems and computers that need to go with that. And so you guys have been awesome. So I wanted to talk about giving, but I also really felt like after we were able to come back, finish the Blessed Life series, we really need to talk about marriages. And so um, that's kind of been on my heart. I've mentioned that several times. Well, in February, we had the Excel simulcast here at the church in the auditorium. And uh, one of the things, some of y'all were able to attend and um, heard some really good reports from that. One of the things that Pastor Jimmy announced is that Marriage Today is going to be building a permanent office space. And they've only been able to uh, rent for a long time. And one of the things he challenged the attendees to do was to give. Well, I'm just going to, whenever I heard that, a number came in my heart. uh, And that number to give was $20,000. And when I heard that number, I thought, Lord, I don't know if, you've, if we even have $20,000 in our account. And if we do, there's some other expenses that are coming up. We can't give this right now. And so I, was, I said, all right, Lord, if this is what you want us to do, then we'll do it. But you're going to have to provide. Well, as time went on, um, we started talking about giving. And the Lord really ministered to your hearts and placed on your hearts to start tithing and giving and I forgot about that little experience that I had during the Exodus simulcast. And the Lord reminded me two weeks ago. He's like, hey, remember I told you to give this money? And I said, oh, yeah, Lord. And uh, the Lord has really blessed us. And he, he, he told me, hey, remember what I told you? And so I was getting ready to, and I, I, I spoke to a handful of people about this. Well, the Lord laid it on their heart to give very, very generously. And so I would like just to say that this past week, we wrote a check to marriage today. And the reason we're doing this, I believe the Lord showed me, is because we're investing in marriages. I really believe this is a supernatural principle. I know I'm leaving y'all hanging. This is a supernatural principle. When, whatever you sow into, you get a harvest from. So if you, want to sow, if you want something to happen in your marriages, you sow into marriages, not just financially, but with your time. If you want your kids to know the Lord, you got to sow into your kids. Wherever you want to see fruit, you have to sow. And so I really felt like the Lord said, you need to give this amount because it's going to sow into marriages. And I really believe that marriages are the bedrock of the church. You know, I, I'm going to keep you a little bit in suspense a little bit longer. Um, the Lord showed me that marriages are the, probably the most important element of the church because, you know, when people go to church, they're looking for a good kids ministry. They're looking for good worship, good word. Um, kids ministry is a big one. But I know that if we can get our marriages to come together and they can be a good example to their children, then we literally have youth leaders at home that are teaching their kids in the morning and in the evening. And so I really felt that the Lord wanted us to give this gift 
so that we can minister to marriages. And the gift we gave was $45,000. Amen. Amen. We got some people clapping in here. Hopefully you're clapping out there. You guys are a generous church. Um, it's been phenomenal to see. The Lord has also spoken to us to give to uh, Crescent Park. When we came in here, the Lord said, you need to meet their needs. That was part of the prophetic word we had at the beginning of the year. We've given them over $10,000 uh, since, since then. You guys are amazing givers, and I want to tell you, to, I want to encourage you to continue to give and know that the Lord is going to reap into all of our marriages. If you call kingdom home, the Lord is going to pour out blessing on your marriages. We don't know what that's going to look like, but we know what's going to happen. So uh, I just want to tell you that and know that, that we are not just using the, the tithes and offerings just to buy things, but we are sowing into other ministries. And so um, I've also reached out to a couple of different um, people to help with the, with the uh, coronavirus, COVID-19. And so we're, we're helping in many, many different ways. I just want to let you know that you guys are awesome and that God is going to bless us. Amen. So let's get into uh, this week's lesson. Uh, we introduced a series last week called Under Authority, and we're going to continue to talk about that. I have a specific um, area where I believe we need to talk about this morning, but we're going to be talking about all the areas uh, throughout this series, and we'll probably go a couple more weeks. But I want to go ahead and pray real quick and ask the Holy Spirit um, to speak to our hearts and open up our ears so we can hear what He wants to say to us. So if you would, just bow your heads where you're at and join with me. Father, we just thank you for this morning. You're a good God. You're a faithful God. We just want to thank you, God, for giving us the, the privilege to sow into this amazing ministry. And Father, we believe that our marriages will forever be changed. I believe it with all of my heart, God. I thank you, Jesus, that you're going to do this. And Father, we just ask that you would be with us this morning, that you would open up our ears to hear what you want to say. Just wherever you're at, this is kind of our custom here, just ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I give you my ears. I give you my heart. Please speak to me. Whatever you want. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we actually began this series, this starting to talk about this topic on Easter. If you remember, I made a statement. Jesus um, could not, was not able to go to the cross unless he was surrendered to the Father. I remember as I was preparing for the Easter message, uh, I was preparing and that thought just came into my head. Jesus was not able to go to the cross, would not have been able to go unless he was fully surrendered to the Father. And I remember thinking, okay, um, I didn't really know what that meant, but I knew that's what we needed to talk about. Well, as the message unfolded, uh, I realized that the reason that Jesus couldn't go to the cross unless he surrendered is because unless he surrendered, he wouldn't come under the Father's authority. And if he didn't come under the Father's authority, then he couldn't receive any of the authority that the Father had for him. I really believe that Jesus, that Jesus could not have gone to the cross unless he had the Father's power. This is kind of the topic of the series. When we come under the authority that, that, that is Jesus, that is God, and we come under the other authorities that he has placed in our lives, he gives us supernatural power to operate in those areas. And so I'm going to read a couple of verses, John 5, verse 19. I've read this, these many times, but this is what it says. So Jesus explains, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does also. Hold it right there. He says, the son can do nothing 
by himself. And then please go to the next uh, passage. I think it's John 8. John 8, 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that what? I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. In these verses, we see that Jesus could not do anything, did not do anything, unless he first heard it from the Father or saw the Father do it. It says, I don't do anything of my own authority. I only do what the Lord, what my Father has given me the permission to do. What was the result of that? Power. I love reading these verses because if Jesus couldn't do anything without the Father's help, why do we think we can? We can do nothing without the Father's help. This is part of our vision. Our vision at Kingdom is for everyone to know Jesus, to hear his voice, and follow him. We follow Jesus' example while he was here on earth. Jesus did many miracles, many signs, but he didn't do anything of his own ideas. He didn't come up with an idea and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal this person. I'm going to go lay hands on that person. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to multiply this bread. The Father told him everything he was supposed to do. We are called to walk that same way. And wherever, whenever, we, whenever we live out the Father's vision for our life, there's always provision. There's need for the vision. Jesus knew this truth. In God's kingdom, when we surrender to God, we don't lose authority or power. We actually gain it. This is why we learn to willingly lay down our lives. I know many of us are believers. I know some are not. But if you're a believer, at one point you lay down your life to the Lord and say, Lord, I give you permission to do whatever you want to do. That's great. And you kind of give the Lord authority to begin to come in. But how many of you know as you begin to walk with the Lord that the Lord has had to address many different areas of your life that you thought you were surrendered to the Lord, but you really weren't? In this, and I, I believe for many young people, I'm, I'm not quite young, I'm kind of young. I'm getting out of the young. I was thinking, I was talking with a friend yesterday, and I thought, I'm going to be 32 this year. I still, many ways, see myself in my 20s, but then I see how 20-year-olds act. I'm like, no, I don't, I'm, no, I'm 30, I'm 32. And so, um, young, I, something I had to learn is that my, my, I wasn't surrendering my desires to be married to him, and I ended up picking, up some, picking somebody that I thought was the Lord, but it was actually my desire, and I actually tried to put God's stamp on that. And God said, no, this is not for me. And so I thought I was fully surrendered to the Lord at 18, 19 years old. And the Lord had to painfully show me, not because he wanted to make it painful, because I made it painful, to show me that, hey, I'm not completely surrendered. When we surrender to the Lord, we gain authority and power. Also, any area of your life that you have not surrendered to the Lord, you don't have any authority or power in. You know why I think some people don't surrender? It's because they have pride. A lot of us want the credit. We want the credit for things we've accomplished. I think there are many reasons that we have pride, but one of the big ones is, as I think when we were younger, maybe we really relied on somebody, maybe a parent, brother, sister, a friend, and they let us down. And so we said, I'm never going to get hurt again. I'm going to rely on my own strength, my own capabilities. And so we build up this pride. When, when we, though, learn to surrender the credit, we also surrender any pressure that we may have. And I can tell you from experience that is the most wonderful feeling that when you say, you know what, I'm not accomplishing this. I used to want my name to be on this accomplishment or this thing, but I don't care anymore because I know that my, my, my power is coming from the Lord and I don't have to have any pressure anymore. Jesus was surrendered uh, to the Father from a young age. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke 2, verse 41. I want to read this real quickly. This is a story about Jesus 
when he was 12 years old, going with his parents to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Verse 41, it says, every, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. 42. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first. I'm reading it like a little kid. Okay. Because they assumed he was among the other travelers. This reminds me of ever seen. I'm still getting used to this. This reminds me of ever watch the Disney uh, channel or watch Disney movies when you're little and they had a little bouncing ball. That's, I think that's what I need to be able to get used to this. Because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. 47, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. 49, look at Jesus' response. But why did you need a search, she asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Hold it, hold it right there. So we see that Jesus went with his parents, and then this was actually the year before he became old enough, the 13 years old, to, uh, to take place in religious uh, ceremonial uh, rites. He, it was the year that he became accountable for his actions. It was the year before he became accountable for his actions. And so with it, we see that Jesus, before he went home, decided to go into the temple and, be, and talk to the religious rulers and the teachers to learn, and this doesn't, the word doesn't say this, but we can know from Jesus' life, because he was surrendered to the Father, that he was probably learning how he could uh, live a holy and righteous life the way that the prophets and, the, and, and, and the, um, the prophets in the Old Testament and the law and Moses taught him how to live. And so, but whenever they left, we know that his parents trusted Jesus because um, None of us would leave a 12-year-old, right, behind without checking with, with, um, with him, make sure he's with friends or family, right? But we see that he was, they didn't check until later that evening, and it was three days until they found him. Um, Jesus' response was, you should have known where I was. Shouldn't, didn't you, don't you know that I'm actually about my father's business? We see here that Jesus, from a young age, knew his, who his real father was, which was uh, his father in heaven. Look at verse 51 and 52. But look at, after he, told, he told him this, but then look how he responded. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Look at that first, uh, 52. Sorry, uh, verse 52. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. So in verse 51, we see that Jesus, the word says that Jesus became obedient to them, and as a result, he grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God. Again, Jesus knew who his real father was at a young age. I want you to just kind of put your, your, uh, your, uh, your feet in Jesus' shoes for a moment. At 12 years old, he knew that his father was the creator of the world, of the universe, but yet he still had the power to surrender to his parents, to become obedient. Imagine how hard, that, how hard that was for Jesus. At 12 years old, to say, hey, I know I have a greater calling than just 
playing around with my, with my friends, my brothers and my sisters. But yet, I'm still going to come under the authority of my parents. I want to ask you, some of you all have kids this age, how, how do you think your 12-year-old would, be, would um, easily become obedient if they were in Jesus' shoes? Probably not. How hard is that for your 12-year-old? I really don't believe that Jesus understood this principle, again from a young age, that when he surrendered to his parents' authority, he actually gained authority. And that's why I believe the word says that he, he grew in wisdom and in favor. This is a, just an important kind of principle. One of the benefits of comer, coming under authority to the different people God has placed in our life is that God gives us favor and gives, and gives us supernatural wisdom in these different areas. I remember when I was... Um, I was like 17 years old. I went to a basketball tournament, and I played basketball growing up. And, and I remember one game we were playing, and I was playing really hard, and apparently I had the ball quite a bit, and I was shooting most of the shots because one of my coaches at halftime really got on to me, chewed me out in front of all of my teammates. And I thought, man, I'm like, I'm doing my best. I may not be maybe passing it the way I should or maybe the way we drew it up, but I'm doing my best. And, you know, in that moment, I could have very easily said, said something like, hey, so-and-so is not shooting the ball. Hey, they're throwing the ball away. You know, I'm doing my best. Look at everyone else. But in that moment, I didn't. And I, and I, I said, all right, like, I feel like I'm doing my best, but okay. Well, in the third quarter, once we started the second half in the third quarter, I hurt myself. And I, I think I rolled my ankle and I had to be out the rest of the rest of the game. And the rest of my teammates finished the game, and they didn't do so well. I'm not trying to lift me up. I'm just saying in this game, I actually did pretty good. And they didn't do so well, apparently, because at the end of the game, we went into the locker room, and my coach apologized to me in front of everyone and said, hey, I was being too hard on you, and you were actually one of the only ones really hustling this game, and gave me an apology. In that moment... Um, when I was getting chewed out, because I, because I, I, I knew kind of, I guess, internally what was going on, I had to really hustle and do more things than I usually do. Um, I could have easily said, hey, coach, I could have pointed out all these things. But because I chose to come under authority, the Lord gave me favor at the end of the game, and I got an apology, and the coach began to treat me differently after that. There are many of us that, that find ourselves in situations like Jesus where we realize that we know better, but we have to make a choice. Are we going to rebel? And that's, that's the only other choice. Either you come under authority, not saying you have to agree with the person that, you, that the Lord is wanting to, to submit to, but you have to honor them. But if you don't honor them and we stir up trouble, we're actually living in rebellion. We have to learn to, to trust the Lord that if, we, that if he's putting us in situations and we and we come under that authority that God will give us favor. He will give us the, the, the provision that we need in that situation. So last week we, we talked about briefly a couple different areas that I believe the Lord wants us to come under authority. I'm going to go through a couple really quickly because I'm going to talk about one specifically. Remember, when we sum, surrender to these different authorities, we're actually not just surrendering to these people. We're surrendering to the Lord. It is a spiritual provision. We're submitting to God, not just to whatever institution that we're going to mention. The first one we talked about was government authority. Romans 13, 1 and 2 highlights that. And I want you to know this. We'll probably get into this a little bit more in the coming weeks, but 
government doesn't necessarily have to be good in order for it to be from God. We see this, that all throughout even the scripture, that God put, allowed evil kings to rule over Israel and Judah, and even allowed evil kings to come and take Israel and Judah into captivity. So I'm, we're not saying, I'm not saying that you have to agree with all the, the different policies and rulings and all these things, but you do have to honor them because God is allowing them to be there. If God didn't want this current president or the next president or the president before, guess what? Then he would have been president. God has put these people in place. So government authority. Number two, employer's authority. And I wanted just for a moment to really uh, to emphasize this point because we're in the middle of a recession. We're in the middle of kind of an economic turmoil. And I really believe that God is telling us if we learn to surrender and submit to our employers, to their decisions and not rebel, you will find provision. Look at Ephesians 6 verse 6. This is what uh, Paul says, try to please them all the time, the people that we're employed to, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all of your heart. Verse 7, work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord, and this is why we do this, because we know the Lord will reward each of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free, whether we are slaves or free. We're not doing it for our employer. We're actually working towards the Lord. And then um, we talked about coming under, wives coming under the husband's authority. And you can go back and watch that. We will talk more about that once we get into our marriage series, hopefully in the next couple months. This morning, though, what I really want to focus on is, is looking at how we as believers can come under our spiritual leader's authority those people who are spiritual mentors and those who are pastors. I and other people in your life um, have, been pl- uh, have been placed in your life by the Holy Spirit to help lead you. And I know that's hard. I'm going to talk about that at the end. But this is the truth. The Lord has placed pastors in, like me in your life to help lead you. Another word that we also have in 1 Timothy is uh, overseer. I don't want to go into that uh, you can read it for yourself, 1 Timothy 3, 1. But he said, one of the words that we are given as pastors is overseers. So we are, our job is to oversee your soul. That is part of my job. My jo- I, yes, this is a privilege. It is an honor to stand up here. But one of the responsibilities I have is to oversee your soul. There's going to come a day where I'm going to, ha- I'm going to have to give and accounts for how well I led this church. Did I, did, I, did I lead fairly? Was I honest? Was I loving? Was I, was I giving? Or was I prideful? Did I take advantage of people? Did I work only things in my own interest? I'm going to have to give an account for this. It's my job to oversee. I don't, I don't know if this is on the screen, but I, pastors have been given the privilege to lead because they have been given the responsibility to oversee. Pastors have been given the privilege to lead because we have been given the responsibility to oversee. James 3 verse 1, this is what James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Not many of you should become teachers. He's talking to me. He's talking to many of us who have become pastors and leaders. He said, you shouldn't be teachers, pastors, for you know that, that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And then last week you read in Hebrews uh, 13, 7 and 17, 
that uh, the writer tells us that we are to, uh, verse, I'll just go, up, throw, go, ahead, go ahead and throw up verse 17. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch, overseeing your soul, keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So this is, this is, a, um, this is not a light thing. I know many of, many of us, and I, and I have done this in the past, and I still have many pastors that I respect. I think many of us have seen pastors and you know, we respect them and honor them, but uh, I think sometimes we can see the glamorous side of it and not really understand that God has placed us in a position to oversee people that God has brought into our lives. And it's not a light thing. I remember when, we, when uh, God called us to start kingdom, I, I really didn't want to do it because I realized I'd seen my parents lead for so many years and I realized the commitment. But I knew that what the Lord was saying. The Lord uh, confirmed it many, many times with many different people, and I realized that this is what God was doing. And I had learned my lesson in previous, uh, in previous years that when you disobey the Lord, things don't work out. And so I was like, all right, Lord, you're telling me to obey. I don't want to go down that road, so we're going to go down this road, but I have to know that you're with me. I, I want you to look at Ezekiel 33 real quick. This is, I wanna, this, to me, this is another illustration of the responsibility that we have. I'm going to summarize verses 1, 1 through 6, and I'm going to read verse 7. But in, in, in verses 1 through 6, uh, uh, God is telling Ezekiel, son of, he's, he's telling him, he says, when I bring an army against uh, your country or against a country, he said, the, and then the people of the land uh, choose a watchman to watch the walls to make sure that the, that, the, the, that the walls are protected. When the people put a watchman, that watchman has the responsibility to sound the alarm if people are coming. And he says, if the, if, um, the people, if the watchman does not sound the alarm, he says that many people are going to be died, and that watchman will have the blood of all the people on his hands. And then he says this in verse 7. He says, so you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Verse 8. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to, to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Verse 9. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn, away, turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have, but you will have delivered your soul. So God is, actually, is, telling, is telling Ezekiel, hey, if you warn that person who is sinning, then, I, then you'll be free of his blood if he doesn't repent. But if you don't warn him, if you don't speak truth to him, then I'm going to require his blood at your hands. He'll pay for his sins and you also pay for his sins because I set him, I, I gave you the responsibility, I gave you the gifts, I gave you the tools, I gave you the spiritual insight to see how that person needs to be led. But if you don't speak, then his blood will be on your hands. This is, in a nutshell, this is actually what pastors are called to do. Now, you may ask, okay, well, why wouldn't a pastor, why, how come all pastors don't do this? And we know that not all pastors do this, not all leaders do this. You might ask, why don't all pastors do this? This seems pretty easy. If there's, if there's somebody coming, then if there's somebody, something coming against one of the sheep, why don't you say something? Because sounding the alarm, as we just read, for pastors, many times 
involves correcting people. And guess what? People don't like to be corrected. Not all people like to be corrected. How many of you out there like being told what to do? How many of you out there, when somebody highlights an area in your life that you need to work on or that you need to stop or something that you need to do, how many of you quickly say, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, you're right. I need to do that, man. Can't believe I didn't see that. You're so right, man. You, yeah, I can't believe I missed it. Nobody. I don't even do that. Um, I'm trying to develop that, and I feel like I'm getting better, but it's not an easy thing. The reason why many pastors don't sound the alarm and don't do these things is because many people don't want to hear it. I've been in ministry for 12, going on 13 years, I'm actually going on 14 years, and there have been many people where God has told me to speak to them, and when I spoke to them, they they didn't receive it. There have also been times when God has asked me to speak something to somebody, and I didn't do it. And the Lord, the, and then the Lord would just remind me after this, and he would say, Josh, this is your responsibility as a pastor. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. Then don't do it. But if you're going to have this honor and privilege to stand up here and preach the word, you have to be able to correct people. There, there's also other reasons why we don't speak truth. Um, I, I, I was a worship pastor for many years. I still, I still lead the team currently. Um, but one of, the, one of the things I've had to deal with as a worship pastor is to deal with people who have the talent to sing, have the talent to lead, charismatic, but their lives inside here, it wasn't right. They weren't surrendered to the Lord. And so I had to make a decision Am I potentially going to have my team be worse than what it should be because the right thing to do is to deal with certain sin or deal with certain issues that shouldn't be on the worship team? Because I take this, I take this uh, and God takes this platform very seriously. I remember one time I went to Gateway Church and Pastor Thomas, who was a worship pastor for many years, said, Whenever we put people on the platform, we're telling everyone that's in the congregation, anyone that's watching, hey, you have permission to live like every person here. You can do exactly what they're doing. And so what I, how I received that was if I don't feel comfortable with, as the worship leader with how these people are living, then I have a responsibility not to put them on here. But let me tell you, there are many worship pastors, many pastors who will overlook some of these things. Um, because there's pressure. Hey, we feel, I remember when I was, when I was younger, and I, I remember um, Lisette was actually one of my first worship leaders, and I remember um, the first Wednesday she couldn't lead worship, and I was panicking, and I was like, man, and she had a legitimate reason. She got in a car accident, um, and she was okay. It wasn't a bad one, but she, she couldn't. She had some things to deal with, and I remember thinking, how are we going to do this? These other people that I have seen you have never led before. It's not going to be good, and the Lord used that situation to deal with me and said, hey, it's not about who you have or you don't have. It's about are you looking to me to provide? I'll give you what you need. I can make these people who have not led before lead tonight, and they'll do amazing, and so why do pastors not speak up and sound the alarm? Because there's pressures. Monetary pressures, monetary pressures. There are a lot of pastors, uh, and I've seen this before, we don't deal with certain people because they have money. Oh, we need them. If I say something to them, if I correct them, then they'll stop coming to church, they'll stop giving. There are many different reasons, but as pastors, we have the responsibility to say something. And if we don't say anything, if I don't say something to um, anyone that comes to church 
and they end up, and, and if, they, if I don't say something and they go off and do something and they get hurt or they fall away from the Lord, their life is on my, hand, is on my hands. One of the greatest leaders of all time had a hard time leading, uh, Moses. I don't, have, I don't have time to go into it, but God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. But before he actually got there, he resisted. He resisted many times. His excuses were, who am I? I'm nobody. I was actually kicked out of Egypt. The Pharaoh was trying to kill me. And then he, one of his excuses was, um, they're not going to believe me. They'll say I'm making it up. Another excuse was, I'm not good at talking. And God had to consistently encourage him through, through miracles through his brother and, and tell him, hey, I've called you, I've called you. But Moses knew a little bit about people who was about 40 years old when he was called to lead the people out. And he probably had one of the hardest jobs in all of history, leading a group of people out of bondage that in reality, they didn't want to leave bondage. If you read the book of Exodus, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you see time and time again that they would say, hey, we just want to go back. We don't mind being slaves. And, and Moses said, Moses' job was to, to say, hey, there's something better. That, and that's actually my job. One of the reasons I, I preach that I get invigorated and I have this energy because I've seen what God can do in a person's life when they surrender. And I see many people and I'm saying, guys, there's something better. There's a better life. There's a life of peace. There's a life of joy. There's a life of blessing. If you would just let go of that old life, which is actually bondage, and go forward into God's promised land that he has for you, the overcoming life. And that's something that Moses was tasked with doing, getting a people who were not really interested to go into the promised land. 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 through 5 kind of outline in this passage, Paul is telling Timothy some of his responsibility as a pastor. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read this real quickly. This is what he says. I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, he said, preach the word, all the word, not just part of the word, all of the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove rebuke and exhort. I want to just focus on these words real quick. Reprove means to correct. So one of my responsibilities and some of the pastors and leaders that are here is to reprove, to correct, say, hey, you're not doing this right. Do it in love, of course, but our job is to do that. And then it is to rebuke. Rebuke is a hard, is a, is a tougher, uh, tougher um, action than reproving. It's, it's like in the same category, but sometimes you have to rebuke people. And I, I have had to do that. I've done it I've done it in love many times. Sometimes I haven't, and I have to, I have to answer for that one day. And I, I've asked for forgiveness and been learning, but we're called to rebuke and say, hey, what are you doing? You ever, done, you ever had that conversation with, with a loved one uh, with, and say, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> Get your head out of the sand. That is something we are called to do, of course, in love, and then exhort. Part of our job is to encourage and say, hey, you're doing a great job. That is our job as pastors. What does he say? With complete patience and teaching. This is really important. With complete patience. That's hard. But as pastors, we're called to that and teaching. Verse 3. Why are we doing this? For the time is coming. We're in the middle of it now. When people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Verse 4. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is unfortunate, but many people, if they don't like what's being taught, if it's from the word, now a lot of times preachers and pastors don't 
teach things from the Word or they, they twist things. And so there's that. But also there are people who, who's, who will not will stop going to a church or stop being in a small group or a Bible study or whatever, or they'll leave their pastor or their mentor and say, hey, I don't think what you're saying is right because what the pastor and leader is saying doesn't line up with what they want. I mentioned this last week, but we have to have people in our life that we have given the permission to tell us what to do. That's a very hard thing. It's not an easy thing. I'm not saying this is easy, but we all need people in our lives that we have said, hey, I've given you permission to call me out on my dirt, on whatever I'm doing. I've given you permission. I may not agree with it, and hey, I may argue with you, but please be patient with me, and please correct me in love, and I, I promise you I will do my best to hear what you're saying and ask the whole Lord to reveal this in my life if it's something I'm not seeing. That is the risk. This is how we should see the spiritual leaders that we have in our life. And as pastors, I have that responsibility. God has given us the ability to speak truth. This is why we come under our spiritual leader's authority. And again, it's not my authority. And I, and I also said this last week. It's not because I was the smartest or I knew the most. I've been in ministry the longest. It's because God called me and I answered the call. And it didn't just start last year. Throughout all my 20s, that's, a, that's another story that I've told in the past. But my whole 20s, the Lord prepared me for this moment. Now, unfortunately, many of us have seen pastors misuse their authority, right? I've seen it. I was kicked out of a church. I was asked to, to leave a church. I've um, been in situations where I've come under authority, thinking I was doing the right thing, and later on, um, I was not covered properly. So what is the result of that? We've been hurt. Um, we've been disappointed. And again, going back to what I said a second ago, some of it is justifiable. Some of it is. Some of it, though, is not justifiable. Sometimes uh, pastors and leaders have said things to us, and we haven't agreed because we're looking at it from our point of view. I, I want to give a couple examples of this, and um, it's, uh, they uh, both, both involve me, and one, one of these examples, I did the right one, one of them I did the wrong way. The first one, I remember I had a, a worship leader who had been singing um, on the worship team for quite a while, uh, well, not a while, but several weeks, and they wanted to start leading. They wanted to start leading songs, and technically, they weren't ready. Um, they were still learning the system, still learning how to use in-ears and these different things, but they wanted to lead. And they basically, um, long story short, they ended up leaving the church because I wouldn't let them lead. Now, just to give you a little insight, if you're coming to church just so you can, you can be involved in a ministry, just so you can serve in a certain area, then you're coming to church for the wrong reason. We all should have a heart to say, hey, I don't, it doesn't matter where I'm at. Put me to clean toilets. Put me to usher. Put me to greet. I'll do whatever. That's the heart that God exalts. And so this person ended up uh, leaving because they didn't, they didn't trust me. And I did all the right things and uh, came under authority. The people who were assigned to me to help me with the situation, you know, I did this. So I did it the right way. This person ended up leaving. So this, in, in my opinion, they left unjustifiably. And this is, uh, again, something that I, I've learned that we don't serve because, because of our talent. We don't serve to, to, to minister in certain places. We serve because God has called us to and we serve wherever. The second example, though, was somebody that left and they took an offense, but I actually caused them to leave. I remember when I was younger, 
uh, we, at our old church, we had these ropes um, that we would rope off the front, the, the, back, the back part of the sanctuary because it was really big, and we wanted the people to sit at the front. Well, as people would come in, we would let the ropes back so the people coming in uh, in the middle of service could sit at the back and not have to go to the front and disrupt the service. Well, one of the ushers um, started opening it up, letting people go in, and then he would rope it again. So, like, the people were literally roped in. And I looked at that, I was like, that is the craziest thing to me. Like, you can't be doing that. Now, I was not the head usher. That was not, uh, and that was not my responsibility to say something. But I took it up upon myself to go and tell that one of the ushers, hey, don't do that. Like, we could get in trouble or whatever. Maybe we could have gotten in trouble. But I, I told him that that person ended up leaving the church because I did that. Now, in hindsight, was it right that I said that? Was it right that I approached? Uh, was, it, was what I was saying right? Yeah, it probably was. Was the way I did it, was the manner and the process in the middle of service, probably embarrassing this guy um, in front of everybody? I didn't see it that way, but was that right? No. So I caused this person to leave which is hard, and I haven't seen that person since, and I think about it a lot. I'm like, Lord, I can't, I got to lead better, and of course, I was younger. I was probably in my early 20s. Besides the point, they left, so all of us have been in situations where we've been hurt by people, maybe on purpose, maybe not on purpose. In my situation with the, that usher, it wasn't on purpose, but they still got hurt. Now, not only pastors, but other Christians have misrepresented Jesus, I think one of the devil's goals is for us to get offended, to get hurt, to get disappointed by our leaders so that we abandon that process altogether. And we say, hey, I don't want anything to do with church anymore. That pastor, he did this to me. He took advantage of me. He was just using me, this and that, justified or unjustified. And the devil wants us to do this. I've had plenty of opportunities to be offended personally, many opportunities the past couple of years, um, before we started the church, went through a lot of things. And trust me, I had plenty of reason to say, hey, I'm not going to be involved with church again. Look what, they, look what church people do to people. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to do that. But the Lord gave me a different heart. And, and he actually began to deal with me. And I came to this conclusion. And this is my goal, is that it doesn't, I want to be able to look at any person in their eyes and say, hey, it doesn't matter what you've done to me. It doesn't matter what you're going to do to me. I will always do my best to love you and respect you and honor you. You give honor, you give love without people earning it. God has called us to come under authority. And I think to take that further, I want to be able to say, it doesn't matter how pastors, leaders, Christians misrepresent God to me. I will continue to love and trust people and come under the right authority that God has placed in my life. It's not an easy thing, but remember, we're human. I'm human. I just told you a story of how I misrepresented Jesus and somebody left the church. Did I have the wrong intentions? No. And I'll say many pastors, when they start churches and they start leading, they start with the right intentions. But along the way, things happen and sometimes things get, get murky and we begin to do things that we uh, shouldn't be doing. 
People are going to disappoint you. I'm, I, trust me, I'm probably going to disappoint you. Hopefully I haven't disappointed you too much. I'll probably say or do something uh, that, I, I, that I shouldn't. Again, hopefully it's not really, really bad. I'm going to disappoint you. But the reason that you come under my authority and the other people that has got, God has called to kingdom is because you're not coming under me. You're coming under the Lord. And whenever we come under authority, God brings the right provision to us. I want to invite the worship team up. I know this is a kind of a tough message, and I, honestly, I really wish that you were here so that I could see your faces. I have kind of an empty room, so I don't know how the response has been. I really believe the Lord wants us to, of course, pray. We're going we're gonna to give an altar call, but I really believe the Lord wants us to deal with those of us who have been hurt by leaders in the past. And maybe... Maybe you're coming to church, but maybe it was you're very reluctant, and you said, "Hey, I've been hurt, and I would just rather I'm just would rather just tune in from the comfort of my home, or maybe I'll just attend. I'm not going to volunteer. I'm not going to serve, and and that's it." I just want to I just want to encourage you and challenge you that the safest place to be is surrendered to the Lord's authority. It's not easy. It's not easy. As I said, many opportunities to be offended over the years. But I've learned that when I am surrendering to the people that that God has placed over me, I'm not surrendering to them. I'm surrendering to the Lord. I truly believe that even this church, me pastoring this church today, is a result of me throughout the years learning to surrender to authority when I didn't want to, when I was mistreated and not not, uh, pastored right. I wasn't always the best the best Christian or best youth pastor, worship pastor, whatever. But I've learned, hey, I can't do things my way. I have to learn to surrender to the Lord. So if you're, if you're watching, would you just please stand? If you want to respond to what I feel like the Lord is asking us to, to, to discuss and deal with, would you just please stand?